As uh, we remain standing, let's join together for the Shema. You'll see it on the screen, but uh, do together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Be seated, please. As we come to the scripture this morning, I'll remind you of the journey that we've been on together. We've been talking for uh, the last five weeks about some foundational and core values of our church that we've turned into simple statements, and it starts with, uh, we are loved, and it continues with, we have a story, and then we talked about, we have a responsibility, and then last week, we talked about, we are a family. Today, we want to talk about, we are never alone, and so you'll find the text in uh, Exodus 31, I think it's coming on the screen, and I'll read that uh, uh, as we as we hear God's word. This chapter 31 of Exodus, this is after they've escaped from Egypt and they are in the wilderness. Then the Lord said to Moses, see if I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I've filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I've appointed Oholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I've given ability to all the skill workers to make everything I've commanded you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, um, when my wife and youngest son were on vacation, they toured the famous Winchester House in San Jose, California, and I think we're about to see what it looks like. If you haven't uh, been to the Winchester House, i tell you the story a little bit. It started in 1884 and was more or less continually added to all the way until the death of Mrs. Sarah Winchester in 1922. So 38 straight years of building, though apparently there were a few months when she would fire all the workers and so there would be some delay. Now the story behind this is that uh, Sarah Winchester was the wife of the founder of the Winchester uh, Rifles. And so um, he was very wealthy and she became very wealthy. When he died, she inherited the equivalent of $532 million today. And since she owned 50% of the Winchester company, she was basically making about $26,000 a day as well. But sadly, she had lost an infant and then her, son, her husband died of pulmonary embolism, and so she was a widow. She lived in New Haven, Connecticut. She went to Boston and consulted a medium, and the medium told her that what she needed to do was leave New Haven and come out west and build a house, and as long as she was building a house and adding rooms to that house, the spirits and the ghosts of all the people who had died at the hands of rifles invented and produced by her husband would not bother her. And so to avoid, if not to appease the ghost, she went out west and started to build this house. Now, 1922, she died, so the work stopped. But at the, uh, when it stopped, there were 161 rooms in this house. There were 40 bedrooms, 47 fireplaces, and as you may know, uh, there were doors that went nowhere. 
stairs that led up to nothing uh, because she also felt not only a need to appease the ghosts, but to try to confuse them. So one of the more interesting things about this house is there were toilets all over the place, but only one of them worked because she didn't want the ghosts to know which one worked. I remember when I had preschoolers, I wish I'd have had a bunch of toilets and they would have known which one to find. But um, so she could hide there. At any rate, when she died, the house finally was sold, not sold for anywhere near what it would have been worth because of the earthquake in 1906 had uh, shaken it up a bit. But people hauling furniture away, they had six trucks working six days a week for, uh, excuse me, eight, uh, six days a week, eight hours a day for six weeks to haul all the crap out of her house that she had accumulated. All that time, all that money spent. Now, you may know, I didn't see it. There was a movie that came out last year about Sarah Winchester, and it starred Helen Mirren as Sarah Winchester, and it was nominated for four Golden Raspberry Awards. Now, yeah, you already know. In other words, it was nominated for Worst Picture, and Helen Mirren, besides, uh, with all of her talent, was nominated for Worst Actress in a picture. That's the effect this house has. Because time and money wasted to avoid and appease spirits who probably were never there in the first place. Now let me show you a different house, a different picture. This is the tabernacle of Exodus 31. It was also an extensive building project. If you look at uh, the first five books of the Bible, one of the interesting things is God creates the world basically in less than two chapters. And yet it takes chapter after chapter for uh, this tabernacle to be designed, constructed, and built. One of the side lessons we learn is it's a lot easier for God to build a home for us than for us to build a home for God. But it's an extensive uh, undertaking. But it's not to avoid or appease the Spirit, but it is to welcome the Spirit of God and to hopefully encounter the Spirit of God and be reminded of the Spirit of God. And this is uh, the tabernacle. But you might rightly say, now come on. God, the God of the universe, is pretty big. How in the world could God fit in this tent? There's no way. And if that is your objection, I would say, yes, you're correct. God is too big to fit into a tent or house. When Solomon would later dedicate something more permanent, the temple in Jerusalem, he gave in his prayer, opening dedication prayer, said, you know, God, you're too big to dwell in any house, but, but here it is. Isaiah 66, uh, the Lord says uh, through the prophet, look, heaven is mine, earth is mine. Who could ever build a house that I would fit in? And so you're correct. But on the other hand, could God fit in a house? And the answer is actually God could by God's willingness to be found there. I, I know that sometimes in the CLC, I'm sure uh, Ryan or Daryl or Dinah talk about the Hebraic concept of simzum, which just basically means for us to even exist, God has to pull back and give us space. God is so overwhelming, so much more powerful than uh, we could even imagine. But God has to do some self-limiting just to give us room to walk around. So in the same way, God chooses to self-limit and says, okay, I'll, I'll let you find my presence here in this tent. It is a tabernacle, a portable tent, so that the people could experience the presence of God. Because God is everywhere. I think we 
probably all agree that, but haven't you noticed there are sometimes God seems closer to you than others? There are things that sometimes uh, people call peak experiences, maybe the birth of a child, uh, maybe winning a national title in basketball. I know most of y'all don't get that. Um, There's these experiences where all of a sudden you feel so close, God feels so real. Sometimes there are places like that the Grand Canyon or uh, Hawaii. There are different places. Uh, I know in Ireland and Scotland centuries ago, they came up with a concept of thin places. In other words, the, the distance between heaven and earth just doesn't even seem to be there. It seems so thin. And when you're there, you just feel the presence of God. People need the opportunity to experience God. And so God basically says, look, I'm everywhere. But I tell you what, I will place myself in a, uh, in a manner where you can locate me. There is, in a sense, a thin place, a peak experience for you, and it appears to be the building of the tabernacle. But as sometimes they say, there's more. Because what's interesting about the story this morning is God doesn't say, all right, I'm going to appoint these people, and uh, they're going to build the uh, tabernacle, and I'm going to fill the tabernacle with my presence. God says, I'm going to appoint these people to build the tabernacle. I'm going to fill them with my presence. The stunning turn here is that God is saying that I am resident in the people building this thing as much or more than I am resident in the actual tabernacle itself. And so when the Holy Spirit comes upon Bezalel and Aholiab uh, to do their work, uh, uh, the Spirit is within them. But what's interesting is the word in Hebrew, you're probably aware uh, from previous discussions about creation, uh, is for wind or spirit, and the act of God in creation is ruach. But what is interesting is when God says, and I'll give them skills, the same word gets used for skills. God, the one who fills us, and what we do with them both are the result of the Spirit of God. Those are my skills I'm going to give you. And that may not seem like much to us, but remember, they spent 400 plus years in slavery. Now, I don't know what that would be like. I don't want to know what that'd be like, but I imagine in slavery, there's not much time to create uh, works of art. There's not much time to train at your craft as an artist. So it was almost miraculous that they could build this tabernacle coming straight out of slavery. It was evidence of God in their midst when they thought, wow, this is amazing. Out of nothing, we've built this. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling that this is amazing, and, and, I, and I, when you see something and say, you know, and I feel good about it being there. Uh, many years ago, uh, in the aftermath of 9-11, I remember a couple days later, I'm walking on, on my trail near my house, which happens, unfortunately, to be often on the flight path, the San Antonio uh, airport but it didn't bother me this time because two days later when planes were back up in the air, my thought was, okay, we're going to recover. Things are going to be all right. And so you can imagine what it must be like that they have artisans who can do stuff. They're thinking, okay, we are free. God is acting here. And so God's spirit gave them evidence of that. And so this tabernacle, It's not just a place for God to dwell, but really God was dwelling less in the building and more in the builders. So if that's so, I want to just draw out three observations uh, for you this morning. The first one is this. Oftentimes, you and I are not in a thin place. We are not at a peak experience. Uh, One scholar put it this way. 
this way. We're not on top of Mount Sinai. Sometimes we find ourselves underneath Mount Sinai. How is God to be found? Well, part of the lesson, I think, of the scripture is God filled the people who did the work, of, who served and, uh, and used their gifts to building the tabernacle. So one way to say it is if you're not feeling very, God is very present to you, one of the things I would do is try to engage and involve yourself in volunteering and serving others. If you're not feeling the presence of the giver, then it's time to start using the gift, and I think you will. Adina and I have both been to a place in Africa called Burundi, and one of the things that happens when I go there, uh, nobody pays me to do it. Uh, you often go without uh, a sleep, and it's not always the best conditions. But what happens is none of that really matters because I never find myself as close to God as when I'm over there. It's not just that the people are wonderful, but I can truly be more giving of myself than I am in a normal place where my day job, and y'all probably knew this, they pay me. Um, There's something about giving yourself away. There's an old Buddhist story about a woman who uh, has suffered loss, and in her grief, uh, she went to the expert and said, I need you to take away my pain. And the expert said, I can do that. She was so relieved. Great. But he said, you'll have to do this for me. I want you to go to uh, in this, uh, around the village where you live and find me a seed from a house that has never known pain and bring it back to me. Well, you know what happens. She goes, knocks on the first door, and the person answers the door is dressed in like grieving clothes and mourning clothes. Well, <laughs> not going to be here, but she gets involved with a person who's just lost a loved one, and they start talking. The next house, uh, somebody answers the door uh, on one leg. They've lost a leg. She sits down, begins to talk, finds ways to help them with their daily chores. This happens house after house, and finally, after some time of this, she never goes back to the person who said, bring me the seed. Because in her serving of others, she's found the wholeness that she was looking for. So when you feel like you're underneath Mount Sinai, not on top, maybe we don't look up for a while. Maybe we look within to see what God's given us and put it to good use. Second observation is this. God is everywhere. And since God is everywhere, then God can be reached anywhere at any time. But again, God is kind enough and good enough to uh, suggest some places where we might find God's presence uh, a little more easily. And uh, one of those places, I would say, is where you are today. Not necessarily because of this room, because the cross is on the wall or the candle. It's because the people around you. You can find God in the presence of the community. And I think God's sending the message. There are two guys the Holy Spirit came upon to do the work. One of them's name is Bezalel, which basically means I'm under the shadow or I'm under God's protection. Then the other one, Aholiab, uh, his name means my father is my tent. In other words, my father's my protection. And so both of them represent God as they do the work. When you want to connect with God, another way to put it is connect with God's people. But what's more fascinating to me is one of them is from the tribe of Judah, and the other one's from the tribe of Dan, which probably doesn't mean uh, much to you. Um, It could, 
but it didn't mean much to me for a long time until I, I found out in the scriptures that any time they marched out in the wilderness, any time the people were on the move, including the Exodus when they went through the Red Sea, Judah's always in front, the tribe of Judah, and Dan is supposed to guard the rear. So basically, what you're finding out is one chosen from the front, one chosen from the back, and it's, it's a literary um, method we might call inclusio or inclusion. It's an ancient method, which is if something is there and something is here, then everything in between is covered. So if God is protecting the first tribe and God is the tent for the last tribe, then every tribe in between is also in God's presence. Looking for God today? You might want to look around you. And finally, this observation as I go back to think about the Winchester house as well. And that's this. The Winchester house was built to primarily avoid, if not to appease, malevolent spirits. The Spirit of God is anything but malevolent. The Spirit of God is magnanimous, gracious, uh, full of unconditional love and acceptance, and the Spirit of God is pursuing us. It simply makes no sense to run. We might want to encounter the presence of God so we can finally be caught. I'm reminded of an old Abbott and Costello movie. You may not be familiar with Abbott and Costello, a comedy team from the 1940s and early 50s, black and white uh, uh, screens. And you may, or you may be familiar with baseball season coming up with their who's on first routine. But anyway, one particular movie, they end up in a house they think is a haunted house. Well, at least Costello thinks it's a haunted house. So he starts to run, and, and, uh, and Bud Abbott, his partner, wants to help him and is coming after him to calm him down and tell him everything's okay. But as they go through a room in the house, they go through a laundry room, and sure enough, there's sheets hanging there. And uh, the one who's trying to help Abbott gets a sheet caught over his head. And so here he is with a sheet on his head trying to catch up with his friend to tell him it's okay. His friend looks around and thinks, I'm being chased by a ghost. And through room after room, through kitchens, living rooms, and bedrooms, they chase. Costello, who needs the help, running from Abbott, the very one who offers the help. I remember a friend of mine talked about watching that movie with her daughter one time, and this was going on, and she turned her daughter, and she said, I have a question. Her daughter said, what? And she said, whoever put the sheet on God? Whoever turned God from the one who longs to help us into someone from whom we needed to run? If we're going to run anywhere, let's run to the presence of God which is here in our midst.